Hey guys, you probably noticed that this episode is a bit longer than usual. We've got our first guest star on the show, so send John lots of love and check out all his links in the description. Hi everyone, welcome to the Sing Stations podcast. My name is Olive, and I am shook that Glee never did an entirely Disney episode. There would have been so much copyright on that because Fox wasn't owned by Disney at this point, I think. So they also did Beatles episodes and Beatles music is famously like high copyright or like really expensive to use. So I think they could have used Glee if they or could have used Disney if they wanted to. That's fair. Hi, I'm Eliza. And I think that they really should have given us that 20 minute Celine Dion French medley that they say that Kurt does at some point. I personally would have liked to see it. My name is John. And I think that Glee is a gateway drug to overworking and then under-tipping Denny's waitresses. Oh, spicy take. Everyone um, say hi to John. He's our guest for this episode. John, would you like to give like a little description of how you came into Glee or like how old you were when you started watching it? So so I'm, I'm an audio engineer and music person in, in New York City. And I got into Glee when I was, I want to say, I want to say 13. I believe it came out in 2009, which was the year that I started high school. And I would watch it live. And then I would purchase the episodes on iTunes. Oh, good for you. I have spent so much money on Glee over the years. I've been to the live concerts. I used to have a Warblers t-shirt. I own many, much of the soundtrack. And I, who can say if I've been changed for the better? (laughs) But have you been changed for good? No. The change is irreparable, but not not good. Kind of like Chernobyl. (laughs) Billy is just like Chernobyl. You heard it here, folks. (laughs) Billy is. So we've dedicated a podcast to it. So we're we're in-depth true crime now. This week, we're going over the episode uh, Wheels, which is episode nine of season one. This episode is Glee's first attempt at tackling like a larger issue, one might say. We've had some like serious moments before, but in this episode, we kind of confront the fact that we have a a character with a disability and that's not something we're going to avoid, which one might say is honorable of of Glee to uh, not just brush their disabled characters aside. But as we will all see, they don't handle it in a very honorable way. The episode opens with um, a cheerleading routine that is very lovely. We're doing some little jump roping cheerleading moves. And we pan up to Quinn sitting in the bleachers. As some might remember, Quinn got kicked out of the cheerleading team uh, last episode for the second time because Glee doesn't care about continuity and because Sue found out she's pregnant. Quinn comes up to her and asks, like, is this a healthy thing to be doing? This is maybe not the best for your mental health. Uh, he doesn't say it that way because it's Finn, but like that's his intention. And Quinn says it's better to take it. It takes my mind off this, which is a doctor's bill. It's six hundred and eighty-five dollars, which is a hefty sum of money for a high schooler. Even if a high schooler did have a job, it's probably making like at max maybe ten dollars an hour, working like part-time casual hours uh, here's here's a quick question does this get resolved not really 
It gets resolved in that her parents find out about the pregnancy. I also, I have a question as to why I, so Quinn can't tell her parents about the pregnancy, right? Because she knows that they would hate it. Why didn't they just like write down Finn's address for the doctor's bill? Maybe because the doctor's office already had her stuff on file. Oh, perhaps. I, I just, I think it would perhaps be wiser to send the bills to a, because she says like, oh, my parents almost saw it. And if they're, if they see it, like I'm dead. Um, so it's like, if that's the issue, then just send them to another address. She, she's kind of asking Finn for money here, but obviously Finn doesn't have a job. He says he's been searching for one, but like nowhere's hiring. I feel as though this episode specifically, uh, and it's it has been building, but Quinn has been treating Finn like dirt. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of like you know, sixteen year olds aren't really smart, but it feels like Quinn is like really being awful to Finn, and that's not going to keep him at her beck and call. Like uh, the thing that I kept thinking was like, this girl is like major redirecting. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like I get that she's stressed but like repeatedly calling him an idiot not helping with the job search and, and it's like she's one of the least moral characters in the show because she she cheated and then like put all of this monetary stress on Finn and it's just like she's trying to destroy the glee club at the same time it's weird because at the same time it feels like she is a character that the show repeatedly tries to redeem they try to make her seem as though like, oh, everybody in the Glee Club loves Finn. And it's like she hasn't earned it. I'm I'm very torn on Quinn as a character because outside of the actual material that Glee shows us, we know that Ryan Murphy uh, had a lot of issues with Quinn as a character, wanted her to be, wanted the character of Quinn to be more like Kitty in season four, more like just this kind of very shallow who doesn't really have that many redeeming qualities. And yet, like in season one, this pregnancy plotline actually makes her very sympathetic. And so I feel like in order to balance out the amount of sympathy that she was getting from the pregnancy plotline, Ryan Murphy, like, made her more, uh, I guess, abusive is the right word for it. Because, yeah, she calls him a pea-sized brain or something like that. She calls Puck a loser a bunch of times. It's not even just Finn that she's, like, really mean to. It's everyone. I go back and forth on it because I think the character of Quinn was always meant to be a, a very angry, vindictive kind of character. But then you're right. Like she gets more redeeming plot lines or she gets more sympathetic plot lines. And it's, it's inconsistent as Glee often is. I personally like the Diana Agaron interpretation of this character way better. Um, but like, that's, that's why she's not in a lot of the later season stuff is because Ryan Murphy didn't like the way she played Quinn. Yeah. She ends, she ends this talk with Finn. Um, yeah, she tells him to get a job, essentially, because she's the one carrying the baby, so he should be the one working. And essentially tells Finn to prove himself. And we pan down to Jacob and Israel, everyone's favorite character, interviewing Sue um, about all these questions surrounding uh, Quinn getting kicked off the Cheerios. He, he does know that Sue kicked Quinn out because of the pregnancy scandal. And Sue makes a comment that's like, oh, well, we can't have a pregnant girl at nationals because if the judges see a pregnant girl doing all these flips and tumbles, they're going to think that she's about to start crowning. And I just have to wonder, maybe it's good to kick a pregnant girl off the team 
because she's pregnant and it could mess with the baby. Unfortunately, Sue is kind of in the right here. Um, in the early stages, there can be a lot of risk of miscarriage. Uh, anyway, she ends up taking the recorder. So then we cut to the choir room. Well, no. Uh, so um, Will and Figgins are also walking through the hall and they're discussing how Figgins doesn't have enough money in like the school budget to pay for a handicapped bus to take Artie and the rest of the Glee Club to sectionals because there's a special bus that like has a wheelchair lift to get Artie in. And Figgins is like, I don't know what you want me to do. Like buses cost a lot of money to rent and I'm not going to do it for you guys. I... I kept coming back in this particular episode. God knows with Glee, you have to suspend your disbelief. But like, wheelchairs aren't cheap. Like, I know that you can, sure, you can buy them like secondhand for not that much. But the amount of money that the school is spending on wheelchairs to teach a lesson. I get into that later. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I have a note about that. Also, so yes. Um, we cut into Glee Club and uh, Quinn and Finn are arguing more about him getting a job and he just can't find any place. I have to note here that Artie is trying to tie his shoe and I have to question why his shoe is untied. What was it untied by? I do not know. We should mention that none of us are, um, are uh, handicapped <laughs> in the sense of having a, having a wheelchair. I have used mobility aids in the past and I may use them in the future, but that has mostly been a cane or crutches. Yes. So it's not, not a wheelchair. So um, Will comes in and he starts handing out sheet music for defying gravity. And everyone seems really excited about this. Although I do kind of have to question how many of these kids know what Wicked is. It's like well-established. What year did Wicked come out? 2004. Yeah. Maybe three. So they would have all been like in middle school when Wicked came out. Kurt is really excited. He says like it's one of his favorite solos. And Rachel is like, well, it's my phone ringtone. A horrible phone ringtone, just got to say. And Will Will automatically gives the solo to Rachel, the solo in Defying Gravity, uh, which sucks. And Kurt's really disappointed by. It's really unfair. He, he literally doesn't even ask like anyone else in the group. He's just like, boom, Rachel's getting it. Yeah. And Mercedes asks that the says that they're doing a lot of like white music and can they do anything that's um, she says dip her chocolate thunder in, which is certainly a string of words that can be said in an order. Yes, you're right. It can. Will says we don't have time to rearrange the song, to which I say you wouldn't have to rearrange the song for Mercedes to sing it. She can, She's very clearly shown that she can sing it. I think that Mercedes would have been better at this than Rachel or Kurt. They do give us a Kurt, Rachel, Mercedes trio piece of it in season five, I think. Uh, For now, they just kind of move on from it, giving Rachel the solo. And Will announces to the Glee Club that because the school isn't going to be paying for the, um, the handicapped bus, that they have to raise money. And he's like, we should hold a bake sale. And everyone's like, horrible idea. Sounds terrible. Don't want to do it. Heels are really profitable in high school, though. I, I, I was so baffled by their, their reticence to do this. Like, do you, do you guys have experience where- Neither like, of us went to an actual high school. We were homeschooled. We were homeschooled. I was a Girl Scout, so I remember selling Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, me too. And um, those were definitely profitable if you were, like, in the right area. I think I also did a bake sale at one point for, like, 4-H or something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they're they're fun and profitable. Um, the Glee kids all say it's like outdated. Brittany says that she doesn't understand recipes, which is iconic of her and also <laughs> relatable because I can't bake to save my life. But yeah, from what I remember of bake sales, like everyone, if everyone bakes like 20 to 40 of whatever sweet treat they would like, we set up a table in the cafeteria and people pay like a couple dollars and you can make money off of that for sure. Yeah. It's also, it's also baffling to me because like, it's clear that all of the cupcakes were made by the same person. Like they're all, they're all identical. And the only person that you see baking is Quinn. So it's like, why out of everyone, everyone who's having money problems, like why did it fall to her specifically? Also, where did they get money for all the ingredients? Exactly. The, The Glee Club is immediately against this idea. They say like, well, we're really busy. We don't have we don't have time for a bake sale, which is really unfair. Um, they all say that Artie's dad can just drive him. And I have to kind of wonder, like, OK, if Artie's dad can just drive him, then how come everyone's parents are just driving them? <laughs> like, why do we need a bus at all? Exactly. Like, I, I had the exact same thought where I was just kind of like, why can't just a bunch of the Glee kids go with Artie? And then everybody just takes cars and like they can put that money towards like cummerbunds or something. Exactly. Now they don't have to pay for a bus if everyone just drives with their parents. Yeah. And I think, doesn't Kurt like have a car? Doesn't he have like an SUV? Yeah. His dad took it away when he uh, kept on the tiara collection. That's yeah. Finn says, we've got a lot on our plates. We've got, you know, homework, extracurriculars, teen pregnancy, lunch, amazing line and Corey's delivery of it. all the glee kids end up getting up and leaving and i have to question was this the beginning of glee club or was it the end of glee club (laughs) (laughs) who knows because everything that happened in the scene everyone was already in the room will came in gave them sheet music all of them were super ableist towards Artie, and then everyone that's just glee baby i will say though that I am baffled by their excitement over Defying Gravity. Not just not just whether they know it, but the fact that this is a fucking solo. Like, there, there is no part for anyone else. Why are they excited about this song? Why is he handing out sheet music to everyone if one person is singing it? Also, Defying Gravity in and of itself isn't a solo. It's a duet. After Glee Club, after that super short Glee Club meeting, we go into the first cover of the episode, which is Dancing With Myself. Will already asks Will if he can use the auditorium, which makes me ask, does Will rule who gets to use the auditorium? I guess that happened in another episode too. I don't know why. Kevin McHale, who plays Artie Abrams, is a great actor and a great singer, but it must be asked. This character is in a wheelchair. And like later on in seasons, because Kevin McHale is a great dancer, they like do plot lines where Artie walks. Which is but like this is season one. Those didn't exist yet. And those only exist because Kevin McHale is an actor who can walk. Why couldn't this part been played by an actual disabled actor? Yeah, there's no reason it couldn't have been. Um, Ryan Murphy was just too lazy to find one. I also think what happened, my theory is that they cast Kevin McHale as this character, not knowing that he could dance. Like Kevin McHale is actually a really good dancer. I think he has dance training. And I don't think they knew that when they cast him. And so when they realized like, oh shit, we cast this really good dancer as a character who can't move their legs. They were like, okay, now we have to come up with all these plot lines where Artie needs to be a dancer, where Artie like, needs to be able to walk. And he just wishes he could walk so badly. I also have a question about this number in particular. 
and this is specifically a nitpicky editing thing it's like why would you have him playing the guitar and putting down the guitar while the guitar is still playing (laughs) because the guitar then also ceases to exist exactly yeah it's like you could easily have just edited it so that he's still playing guitar and he's in the hallway and that's clearly a fantasy I Jesus and Glee is an absolute disaster. What I like about this number, I, I do think uh, Kevin McHale sings it well. I don't think it's as good as the original by Generation X. Um, it's fine. He has like a good little like jazz uh, yeah. vibe to him. What I do really like about this number, aside from the vocals, are that they actually gave him like proper wheelchair choreography to do. Like yeah. he is actually dancing with himself or dancing by himself in this number. And in a lot of other group numbers that we'll see in, in Glee, it's like they don't really know what to do with Artie in the choreography. Like in uh, The Road's Not Taken, just literally kick him off stage. <laughs> yes, literally kick him off stage. I also find that fascinating because clearly, like, you have to learn how to use a wheelchair. It's not anything that's intuitive. So clearly they know. Like, they had to give Kevin McHale, like, lessons on how to use a wheelchair and lessons on how to do this. So, like, Ryan Murphy knows that people who use wheelchairs exist. He knows that they can make choreography for people in wheelchairs. And it's shown, like, even in the show that Artie can do that. He can make up his choreography. So I would say maybe the best way to handle not knowing how to give Artie choreography is to ask Artie what choreography he can do. Or to, like, maybe hire disabled people to uh, have influence in both the writer's room or some of the artistic decisions. That would be cool. Speaking, that would have been the best. Speaking of artistic decisions, what I'm going to assume he's a sophomore. Like, what 15 year old wants light up wheels? Actually, he's a freshman right now because he doesn't he doesn't graduate when everyone else graduates in season three. So technically, right now he's 14. So is it just that he's like? Is it just that it's a wheelchair that he had when he was like 12? Because like I know he wears suspenders, but it's got to end somewhere. <laughs> So I think it's perhaps a design element for the dance number. I don't know if he wears lights on his wheels at all times. I don't think he does. I think there's always like the reflective bits on the wheels, like that are there for like safety reasons. Um, But I don't think it always lights up. In this number, we also get, he goes into the lunchroom and we we have him focusing, looking at Tina, which is the first hint of that. At the end of this dance number also, um, Will is like watching Artie from the curtains. So he also like sees how upset Artie is about the decision that everyone in the Glee Club made to not include him. But not upset enough to give him an actual solo. Then we go back to the choir room. And this is another one of those outfits where it's like, who in the costume department just vehemently hated Chris Colfer? He's wearing a do-rag. It's just just a bandana that is very wide, like just over his forehead. Like it doesn't cover the top of his head. It's just- Oh, it doesn't? No, it's it's just a bandana. While Kurt is wearing an absolute monstrosity of an outfit, um, he says that he would like to uh, sing the song Defying Gravity. And Will's like, hmm. There's a high F in that. And, yeah. Kurt, and Kurt goes, that's well within my range. And Rachel is, Rachel and Will are both shocked by this. They are, uh, they basically just say like an automatic no. Like they're not even going to let him try out they're for They're not going to consider it. Um, I was in a, bad mood last night when I watched this um so my next note is just say Rachel is your favorite and stop pretending it's maybe this is something to do with my own high school experience but when directors are like we don't have favorites and then they very clearly have favorites it's just like grates on my nerves my my thing is like 
Will has said dozens of times, like, we'll find a song for you. But I have never in my life seen him pick out a song that is performed by someone who is not Finn and Rachel. He does not. He never does. Never for Mercedes, never for Kurt. He quickly moves on from this issue that Kurt brings up because I guess we don't want to talk about it any longer. And he, he says he's very upset with everyone in the Glee Club for uh, rushing Artie off like that and saying that they don't care to, uh, to put in the work to pay for the uh, handicapped bus. And so he's going to force them to do a bake sale. Mercedes says, I'm sorry, we didn't think that you would care. And Artie goes, well, I do care. Also, is it Rachel? I thought it was Rachel who says... Uh, uh, it is Rachel. It is Rachel because she says, we didn't think that you would take it personally. And then Artie come, pops back with, well, you're irritating most of the time, but don't take that personally. Um, so this is when my note comes in because Will brings in 12, uh, not 12, 11 wheelchairs. So you have money to buy 11 wheelchairs. And I looked it up. Wheelchairs, like a base wheelchair that's not meant for long-term use costs $100. Yeah. So that's $1,100. It is possible that they're like borrowing them. Because no, he, says, he says that it was a liquidation sale. So make, maybe they were only $50, but like still, that's like, yeah. that's a lot of money. Gosh, if only the Glee Club had money to pay for this handicapped bus, I guess we'll just spend it all on wheelchairs to make sure everyone understands why we need the handicapped bus so bad. And like immediately after brushing Kurt off. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't see it as a problem until Kurt's dad comes in. Yeah, we will get to that later. But for now, uh, Will says that everyone in the Glee Club has to spend three hours a day for the next, like, however many weeks, I guess, up until sectionals in a wheelchair so that they can understand how hard Artie has it. And I just want to say, like, it's a it's an interesting conversation to have on, like, how it's not bad to call people disabled because it's not bad to understand that people have specific needs that sometimes are uh, different than what an able-bodied person might need. But it's also, it's the beginning of like a long line of things that will happen throughout Glee that just says like, oh man, being disabled is just so bad. It's just so awful. You must hate your life so much. And it's like, Ryan Murphy, listen, I do hate my life, but not being able to walk as fast as other people sometimes is not one of the main reasons. Like, like it's a- I, this is this is just my perspective. As I have a chronic pain disorder. I have a really bad back. I have really bad joints. And so sometimes it is extremely difficult for me to walk distances, uh, walk like a long time or move very fast. Um, And there is a lot of like, I got diagnosed when I was 17. I've been having this issue since I was like 12, but it's also like, it just becomes something you deal with. At least this is my own personal experience. And I uh, obviously I do not speak for all people with disabilities, Um, but it's a lot of things in Glee, the way that they do it is just immensely insulting. But like the idea that like the core component of Artie's character and his disability is that he's sad about having a disability and like that makes his life so hard is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's there is a balance to be had of like recognizing that this character does have a disability and we're not going to ignore that because it is a good point for them to make how like all the able bodied kids in Glee um, are shucking Artie off and acting like his needs don't matter. But also it's like, like we said before, it's like if Mercedes got called a slur or Matt got called a, any of the POC 
and then um all the kids in glee club like put on blackface or yellow face or brown face to like make the poc in the club feel better like no no that's absolutely <laughs> not equated let's all pretend to be disabled it's like y'all no yeah it's cosplaying disability and it pisses me off they also do this monologue this montage uh to the original version of dancing with myself and it's just finn and rachel being like smacked around and hit in the face and i have to say the kids at mckinley high are used to having a classmate in a wheelchair which is not to say that Artie doesn't handle this but like this is so completely 100 percent over the top for no reason other than Ryan Murphy being like, look how sad it is to be a person in a wheelchair. Gee hee hee, your life sucks. Obviously, right? Obviously. So because um, Will is just forcing them to do the bake sale, we cut to Quinn in the home ec kitchen by herself. We're just having the pregnant girl bake all on her own. No help from anyone else. My other question for this is the home ec room is completely empty. Can students just use classrooms whenever they want? They can't use the auditorium. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they ask Will Schuster first. So Puck comes in and he offers Quinn, or he says he's heard that Quinn's having money problems. And so he offers her the rest of his pool cleaning money from, I assumably, like the previous summer. He says that it's what he has after buying dip and nunchucks. I have to question how much, or I guess nunchucks are kind of expensive, but that, that does tell us where his priorities lie as a, as a 16-year-old boy. Because we all knew those boys who were weirdly into nunchucks and katanas. One of them was my brother. So I mean, like, at the same time, though, if I, if the only information that I had about a 16-year-old boy was that he had purchased nunchucks, I wouldn't immediately be like, you know, who's going to get a girl pregnant? Yeah, I will say I did just Google it and I found a a Century Martial Arts website and it ranges from $18 um, to like $50. Let's assume Um, that Puck spent $50 on nunchucks and maybe at most like $20 on dip. That that means he earned like $75 for a summer of pool cleaning. Or or he earned like... $300 spent $18 on nunchucks and then the rest on dip because he has a problem. I mean, he does have a lot of problems. Um, (laughs) But so what he gives her is $18. It's not a lot. (laughs) It's not a lot. He says "I for our baby and Quinn immediately turns around and goes, my baby. It is her baby. It is her baby. That is a real slippery slope puck towards like having to pay for child support like he is dancing with the devil right there like especially puck at this point is not a mature and responsible person who could take care of a child like he seems to want like i've said it before it's it's this weird like competition he has with finn or a weird like need to prove himself but he doesn't seem to realize like what being a father would entail he just thinks like oh it'd be really cool to have a kid and like I have feelings for Quinn, so I just want Quinn. But so Puck um, offers this money. Quinn turns it down. She says, even if the baby comes out with a mohawk, I will go to my grave swearing it's Finn's. Um, Which is either, I think it's something she's either said before or she'll say again. It's like something that we kind of carry through because this is the crux of season one. We don't want Finn finding out about the, the affair, the scandal. As Quinn and Puck are um, are arguing she calls him an egghead and then there's like 
a little bit of romantic tension and she slaps an egg on his head and they start a little food fight i have a note here that is puck supposed to be charming because this is not charming um it comes off as immature really pushy and irritating um as they are um i have a note my note for this scene is baking ingredients fight since apparently everyone can just take a shower in the middle of the day and has a spare change of clothes at school because since they get slushied almost every day now they probably do have a change of clothes yeah that makes sense what doesn't make sense is that puck literally has egg on his face and quinn's hair is covered in cocoa powder um as they're fighting they they're like giggling they're supposedly having fun and finn walks in and he goes what the hell because he he can sense the romantic chemistry that is uh, supposedly there (laughs) quinn goes we're baking uh to like cover up what they've been doing um and then we cut to Kurt and his dad, Kurt and Bert, at the tire shop. And Bert has noticed that Kurt seems kind of out of it, asks what's wrong, and Kurt tells him about the solo in Glee Club that is traditionally sung by a woman to find gravity, um, but Mr. Shu won't even give him a shot at it. So I actually, um, so Bert's character in season one is like a little bit rough because he's still like feeling all of this out. Kurt says it's traditionally sung by a girl and Bert says you sing like a girl you know in a good way season one Bert as I said character's very rough I still love him because like he's doing his best he's very obviously like trying super hard for Kurt um and they this is actually our first introduction to Lauren Zeitzies um because he says like they just had that girl who joined the wrestling team and they have a little scene about her winning a wrestling match and he says, this is really bothering you, isn't it? And Kurt goes, I'm full of ennui. Bert, like the good father he is, is enraged to hear that his son is not being given a fair chance um, to sing this song. And so he marches right into school and confronts Principal Figgins and compr- confronts Mr. Schuster about it and says, like, well, my son can sing as well as any of the girls in there, if not better than them. So, like, he should be able to, like, at least try out for the solo. And Mr. Schuster does agree. And we, we get a little vignette of him telling Rachel, like, it's absolutely not fair for me to preach, like, being fair to Artie, but then completely ignoring Kurt's needs. Yeah, I, I see what point Will thinks he's trying to make about including Artie, but, like, including Artie and letting Kurt try out for a part, I don't feel are equatable things. I also, something that really... <laughs> That really threw me this time around watching it was how how much Rachel genuinely believes that this will ruin her life, her words. And it's like, I get that she likes this song, but at the same time, it's one song. It's a singular song. And she also has like 40 other songs in the bag with Glee Club, whereas Kurt has none. Yeah. yeah, when Tina got a solo and she didn't, she literally left the Glee Club. Um, Will says just giving him the part would be unfair. And my note here is just giving him the part would be unfair. All in, unlike all of the times I'm simply given a part to Rachel, which is completely fair. Yeah, he just sees no um, problem Rachel, at all with that. Rachel said that this is going to end up as a popularity contest. And Kurt cuts in and is like, listen, we all know I'm more popular than Rachel. And I dress better than her. Which in this season is very questionable. Um, and he has everyone raise their right hand and say, like, I promise to vote for whoever sings this song better. Mercedes says that I promise to vote for you, 
um, because she has her best friends back and Mercedes is the best. Everybody leaves and Rachel goes right up to fit Will and says, maybe one of these days you'll be able to create teaching moments without ruining my life. Um, Rachel, I have two things to say. One, high school is not forever. Not getting one solo is not going to ruin your life. Um, there are so many other things that could happen to you in high school that would actually ruin your life. Um, you, you are in glee with a girl who is pregnant right now. Um, the second thing is for someone who's so confident in her own ability and how she's the best, you seem extremely insecure against going up to someone voice to voice. That's just my opinion. Your opinion is correct. My question is, does she ever leave a room without storming out? I don't no. think so. I think it's part of her character. It was in Leah Michelle's contract, actually, that every exit has to be her storming out. All the Glee kids are actually like weirdly good at maneuvering their wheelchairs too. Like Kurt did a little spin at one point and like they've adapted very quickly to them. Except for Rachel. <laughs> Except for Rachel. So we cut to Figgins uh, and Will and Sue in his office and he congratulates Will on the little wheelchair project and advises Sue that she should also hold open auditions for all the Cheerios, because in the spirit of giving everyone a fair chance um, and treating everyone equally, we should just let everyone audition for the Cheerios. And Sue is like, mm, absolutely not. But Vigan says, no, you have to. I want to talk a little bit more about this scene because Will rightly brings up that there's only one wheelchair entrance in the school. And it, it must be mentioned that like accessibility does not only mean a wheelchair ramp, and then there's a line which like, there are a lot of lines in Glee that I take massive issue with. But one of the things Principal Figgins says here is like, those ramps are expensive, but inspiration is free. Um, I'm not gonna go into what could be an entire podcast length rant about inspiration porn and people with disabilities, but Google it. Um, because there are several articles written by people who have all different sorts of disabilities and it is a huge problem. It's one of those things that I just get very angry about. I will also say within this scene that Sue, even though she is often right in a very obnoxious way, that she really encapsulates conservative talking points, which is ironic because this show is on Fox. But like she says out loud, like she doesn't even know why she's here and part of the conversation, but she is saying for no reason at all, like she's saying, Oh, you want you want a little bit of progress. You want oh, you want improvements to the school for someone with a disability. I'm gonna play devil's advocate specifically because I don't like you. And she's so confident about it. And I'm just kind of like, girl, you're on Fox on a Fox network. Read the room. So then we're in the cafeteria doing the bake sale. This is when we get introduced to the character of Becky Jackson. She walks in with Brittany. Brittany. And Brittany buys her a cupcake. Um, and Br then Brittany asks, like, how, with, how much money do we have? And Finn says, well, with this $1, we have $1. Yeah. It's also like, so Becky, it should be stated, it has Down syndrome, which is actually really interesting because all of the characters on Glee who have Down syndrome are played by actors with Down syndrome, which is great. You'd think they would be able to extend that representation to the characters, to other characters with disabilities. Should we don't, I guess we don't totally like learn her personality this episode, but she's very sweet. She buys a cupcake. I will say to an extent, it feels a little like, I don't know if you guys experience this, but sometimes um, 
it, I, I went to a co-op that had a, a few um, kids with Down syndrome or, or other disabilities. And a lot of times the popular kids would kind of like gravitate or like latch onto the disabled kids in order to like make themselves look better or like make themselves look more friendly because it's like, look, I'm talking to this disabled kid. Uh, it's a I- very like, like, oh, look at what a good person I am for talking to someone who's so beneath me. Yeah, and very. That. That's very much. And on that note, they explicitly, the Glee kids, uh, like look at Brittany and say, what is she doing talking to her? And then is like, I think they hang out. And it's just like this very weird anti-Down syndrome thing, which like I, I think is frankly in character for high school kids, but it's also on national TV. Also, there's like a balance between something being in character, but then also like this is something a high schooler would say and like the show kind of implying that like this is okay. On a really weird note, why did Quinn have cocoa powder if all of the cupcakes are vanilla? <laughs> Good they, they, had to be, they had to be vanilla cupcakes because they used up all the cocoa powder throwing it at each other. I guess it must be that. Um, we transitioned to the Cheerio tryouts. Oh, wait. So have- real quick, just to finish up that scene. So as they get a dollar from Becky or $2, Quinn says, like, how am I supposed to trust you with a baby if you can't sell a damn cupcake which is again kind of emotionally abusive Finn either it's like fuck you Quinn how's about you sell one yeah um so yes then we go into these cheerleading tryouts which Will is also there for for some reason I guess to monitor them to make sure they're fair like why wasn't it Emma the guidance counselor yeah, where is she this episode? Is she not in this whole episode? She and Terry are not in this episode at all. Um, so Mercedes and Kurt and Lauren and these like two, one or two other people try out doing like Jacob yeah. and Israel auditions for it, and she um, says no immediately. And and Will is just like, I get that. <laughs> so Sue just keeps like shooting down these these auditioners for the Cheerios because she goes, nope, 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 don't want you on my team. Uh, we also get this iconic vignette of this guy who like who's like a um, contortionist. Yeah. They dedicate a good twenty seconds just him exclusively on screen. Yes, and then as the last kid, like right before Sue's about to give up and say like this has been pointless, we bring in Becky Jackson, and we see a little surprising moment of softness from Sue, I will say. Um, Becky does kind of like a simple jump roping routine. She kind of flubs it up a little bit, but Sue goes, I'm going to stop you right there. And she immediately lets Becky onto the team. Uh, Initially, you get kind of nervous about this because Sue is Sylvester, but it just kind of ends with that. Uh, And then we cut to Puck and Finn in the hallway. And this is Another example of Glee telling, not showing us that Finn and Puck are best friends because they're just awful to each other all the time. They, um, they're arguing and- about Finn getting a job. Uh, Puck's like, it should be easy for you to get a job. And Finn's like, I've been trying. And also, but the hell out. It's not your problem. Mind your damn beeswax. He says, Puck says, 
that he's just really stressed about the bake sale because he's really concerned about Artie. Up until this point, I don't think Puck has ever said Artie's name. No, he has not. We then cut to Artie giving all of them wheelchair lessons, which again, like, can can we just have had Artie played by a car- by an actor who is actually in a wheelchair? Here's another question. How is that school going to accommodate? There must be 50 Cheerios. If they're all in wheelchairs, how is the, how is they how are they going to accommodate that? And also like how how are they paying for that? Like also, why is it with this altercation, why is it Finn's fault that the whole glee club is failing to sell cupcakes? They end that rehearsal in the auditorium really quickly. Artie teaches them one wheelchair dance move and then they're like, okay, club's over. Everyone be here on Friday when we have the Kurt versus Rachel defying gravity off. And Tina sticks around and she says, like, I really admire you, Artie. And we get these cute little, like, little crush moments, even though Tina's obviously a lesbian. <laughs> it is it is cute. I, I personally do not ship our Tina, but it is nice. Um, and Tina asks how Artie got into a wheelchair, which is a little awkward. Um, a little bit of an invasive question there. Um, assumably, they've known each other for a good while, though. So perhaps. Yeah, they, like, did, they did audition together. I mean, they yeah, signed up yeah. for auditions together. Artie, Artie does say, like, it's just like you with your stutter. Like, it makes life harder, but you get used to it. Um, and Tina goes, yeah, my stutter. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Artie explains that he and his mom got into a car accident when he was uh, pretty young. So he's essentially like always known being in a wheelchair, like for a, a good at least half of his life now. He said it happened when he was eight. Yeah. So assumably that he's like 14 or 15 now. That's like half of his life. I, so I do not have uh, mobile handicaps, but I also grew up with a stutter and I still uh, come and go with it sometimes. And I understand that this is not the, like, oppression Olympics and whatever, but I also take issue with comparing a stutter to being in a wheelchair, because I had a stutter, and I'll be honest, although it did affect some things in my life, I never felt disabled until other people pointed it out to me. Like, it was, it was a more of a social disability, where, like, I was aware that like other people found me annoying or other people like wanted me to talk differently. Um, Not so much that I literally couldn't move around. Like I feel those two things are not comparable. And yet this episode will compare them and say that they are, they are the same. They, they really do seem to think that like the disability of like just not being able to use your legs is just like something that you can apply to everything. Yeah. They're like, it's so relatable. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like being gay or pregnant. It's like, it's not, it's not like either of those. <laughs> just let it be like its own thing. You don't yeah. have to compare it. You can let each thing be their own thing. It doesn't all have to be allegory for each other. <laughs> so, as he is explaining um, how he lost the mobility of his legs, he says, um, don't worry, I can still use my penis. <laughs> and it's, oh God, it's not as bad as some of the things Puck has said and will say, but like, it's another line that just makes me go, Ugh. I didn't need, I didn't ask, I didn't ask. And Tina also didn't ask. It's, I, I had to stop. I had to stop the episode <laughs> when that happened. 
and like go talk to some food about it because there's just I don't know why, but that line is so upsetting. It's like you're 14. 14. She wow. also leaves immediately after he says that, as she should. I have a note here that's just all caps, Chris Colfer, and like 12 exclamation points. And I don't remember what it refers to. Oh, I remember what it was. He's going through and he's warming up and he's practicing all of these notes. So we do hear that he can hit that high F. Uh, but this is cut in with Bert at his tire shop and he just gets a random phone call which just says your son is a homophobic slur that i will not be repeating and, and then the person just... hangs up yeah which and should then... i go ahead talk for a moment about the cinematography of glee this so like you described kurt is going up on the piano he's trying to reach the high f is intercut with um bert uh going up to the phone at the tire shop and hearing um this anonymous person on the other side call his uh, son a slur and the way it's filmed is artistic in a way that I think Glee is so underappreciated for because like as Kurt gets to the higher notes the tension is building and it's Mm -hmm. almost like it's almost like an alarm going off where it like puts you in that like tense like oh god what's gonna happen and then the person on the other side goes your son's a such and such um and it's it's upsetting what it is is kind of Bert's first realization that like Kurt people will treat Kurt differently specifically about this well and like I think Bert up into this episode kind of has an attitude of like well I'm not happy about it but you know I'm just dealing with this in my own way and this is going to be only something that affects our family but this episode is kind of his first realization of like oh no my child's gay and like that is something that is like going to affect him his whole life and I need to be there for him and it's it's not something that like just our family like is gonna recover and bounce back from and as we learn to deal with it like homophobia is very real and it exists and it especially exists in middle of nowheresville Ohio in 2009 um so the next I guess the next day or assumably that afternoon yeah I think when Kurt comes home from school um Bert is very um frustrated and Kurt comes in really excited he goes I hit the high f I did it. I I'm gonna be able to sing the high notes in defying gravity and Bert tells him that he received this phone call today and he tells Kurt what the person called him and Kurt goes I get that all the time and Bert goes yeah I don't I, I will say that I am kind of like as as a, a guy who grew up pretty pretty obviously not straight as I was, you know, kind of navigating the waters of school. That's a very real interaction of like, it is incredibly jarring to go from like, he's a cis straight white man who owns his own business and can afford like a Hummer going from that level of privilege to have someone call you and like slam the F slur down and, mm-hmm. and hang up whereas like when you're immersed in it when you have to live with it every day you're just like that's not nearly as bad as it could have been <laughs> yeah it's a very real interaction um like I said because I think at this point Bert hasn't really realized like how much his son is affected by homophobia uh throughout his life and as they're talking Bert's like well I I try to do right by you I try to make sure that you have all the 
uh, advantages that I want you or all the fairness that I want you to have in life. But also it's my job to protect you. And it's really upsetting that that these Mm -hmm. people are out here like maliciously wanting to hurt you. Yeah. And the thing about Bert and Bert's anger specifically in season one in a lot of way that he comes across. And like, this is just my opinion, obviously, but like most of it comes from a place of not wanting Kurt to get hurt in any way, um, which we also saw back in the football scene where he says like, he's so little, Um, like he's very concerned about his son. But as he says, like, I wish your mom were here. She was better at all of this, this meaning like emotional communication, uh, emotional support, uh, that sort of thing. So he's very much struggling with a single dad, being a single dad. Uh, and the scene kind of closes with Bert saying, congrats on hitting your, um, I forget what the exact words he uses, but like he says like your awesome A or whatever. Yeah. Um, so he is proud of Kurt, even though he doesn't know what's going on. And this is like, it's a really tragic miscommunication between the two of them, because I, I feel as though like, yes, Bert is trying to trying to like air this frustration that he has. But the way that Kurt takes it is you being gay and openly being gay is a negative thing for me and my life. Clearly, Kurt's dad is trying to protect him. And Kurt says, I'm going to protect you and effectively like throws this opportunity under the bus because it's almost like Kurt is saying like, not you sh- you're right to be ashamed of this but like this this part of myself that i want to be proud of i am going like i i have to hide it not because you don't like it but because you're going to be hurt by it which is yeah. tragic yeah um we then cut back to the choir room uh finn is fixing rachel's one of the wheels on rachel's chair and she says a female version of defying gravity is much more accessible which is true. However, for those of you unfamiliar with the plot of Wicked, Alphaba, I feel like it's more accessible, but it's also more boring. There's no layers there. There's no flavor. Whereas like it being sung by a gay man would have more like impact emotionally because like defying gravity could also be like seen defying heteronormative social norms. Very much what um, Kurt says later on, I think, is that like me being special is what's going to get me out of this town. There's also commentary to be made about how um, there have been very, very few uh, women of color who have ever played Elphaba like full time on Broadway. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. I think the only women of color who've played it on Broadway have been like understudies, standbys, swings. There's never been like a actually like formally cast Elphaba of, and, of color, and, even and though I- as a show it, has direct allegories to being treated as a as a other and and i will say that when it comes to defying gravity as someone who has watched so many so many youtube compilations of like who's saying it better it's like i feel like at this point societally the point of defying gravity and watching people do defying gravity is to ask can she hit this high note what is her range how's it going to sound is it going to be as good as idina and when it comes to the allegory of a gay man seeing it like you don't you don't know if he can hit the high note because it so rarely happens that a gay man is singing this song it it has it has a different 
it has a different meaning. And like, I, I don't put it on Rachel or Mr. Shu even to understand the the metaphor of that. But I feel like with the point of Glee, their whole overarching theme is it doesn't matter who you are, what makes you different, you can still succeed and you can have the spotlight, which which is what they want to say, but they never say it. Like <laughs> the it would have been so much more powerful had Kurt gotten the solo and said, it's not just Rachel who matters in this Glee Club, but by having her get it, it's just saying yet again, nobody else but this little petite ingenue girl is is important to have on stage. Mm-hmm. Like, as you said earlier, um, you don't like Kurt because he's very, like, bitchy, um, which he is. But I think the difference between Kurt and Rachel is that Kurt is much less entitled in his bitchiness. Mm-hmm. There's an intentional bitchiness there. Like, yeah. like, this is his personality to, like, have comebacks for everything, which I think definitely makes sense as someone who's been bullied a lot to, like, have a comeback ready. Yeah. Um, whereas Rachel is bitchy and irritating because she just thinks that she's better than everyone and deserves to just get every single solo to just be leading every single thing and get the spotlight all the time. I really do think that with, with Rachel yet again, getting the solo at the end of the day, I know, I know that like the point is yes, Kurt intentionally threw it, but I feel like the message that's going to get to Mr. Schuster is you were right to pick Rachel and Mm -hmm. figuring out anybody else is going to be a waste of everyone's time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Quinn comes in and talks about the overdue bill notice. And she's being set up as being, like, awful and too angry and whatever. And how, like, having, like, she's emphasizing, like, having a baby costs a lot of money. Um, She's being set up as a bitch, but she's also right. I feel like they're trying to make Quinn look very unreasonable this whole episode. But, like, her concerns are very reasonable. She just does not express them well at all. Yeah. We quickly move on to the, I guess, the second day of the bake sale. And suddenly everyone is swarming around the cupcake table. Everyone is buying up cupcakes super quickly. And Mr. Shu comes up and he's like, oh my God, this is amazing. What's happened? And Santana's like, oh, Puck found this old recipe of his, his grandma's. So now like they're addictive. Everyone wants them. And Puck says in a voiceover that he's spiked the cupcakes with marijuana. Um, that he got from Sandy, which is another callback to an earlier episode where Sandy's just a drug dealer now, and that's fine, I guess. So yeah, giving kids drugs um, without their knowledge. So assumably, like everyone's been, um, everyone's been getting high and buying all the cupcakes. He says it's not enough to get you high; it's just enough to give you a case of the munchies. And like, I don't know how weed works, but like, I don't think that's how it works. It's not. <laughs> so. In the next scene, um, Sue is training with Becky in the gymnasium. Um, they're doing some little jump roping routines. And Sue says, you think this is hard, but try auditioning for Baywatch and being told they're going in a different direction. That was hard. Which, if I may compare it to another famous quote of hers, is not, does not seem as hard as waterboarding. Or living with hepatitis. <laughs> yeah. Um, Will does come in um, as Becky leaves and Will confronts Sue like, hey, what's up with you letting Becky on the team after her audition wasn't that great? Like clearly something's up here. Um, and Sue's like, what, like, what do you want me to say? Cause she's being, she's being mean. She's being rude. She's being awful, but she's being like normal Sue Sylvester, mean and rude and awful. Yeah. 
Like this is just run of the mill Sue. Um, and Will says, I'm concerned because I know you. And Sue shoots back, you don't know me at all, which is correct. That's fair. It'll get explained eventually. But yeah, it's it's definitely suspicious that like Sue's just let this girl onto the team like with no cheerleading experience, horrible audition. I guess we'll get to that later. We cut to Rachel in the choir room and Finn bolts out of his seat and he goes, hey, I'm rooting for you. Yeah. So we go into the Defying Gravity like from the get-go it's obvious that Kurt should win he looks right at Rachel on you can't bring me down this is a thing that Rachel does all the time which is like she just overperforms everything yeah see I like Rachel so I don't mind it when I was very young this was a song that like my mom and I would sing in the car all the time and I would take the Kurt part and she would take the Rachel part because it's a fun duet to sing Um, Mm -hmm. It's arranged very beautifully. The arrangement's lovely. And I like Rachel's overperforming aspect of it. I like, I like Rachel in general. I'm biased. Um, I know I'm, I'm, fine. I know I'm incorrect, but I like Rachel. But yes, I think it is obvious that Kurt sings it better. I, I, I'm kind of of the opposite persuasion. I, I, I think I'm so used to Defying Gravity being a song that is explicitly belted and like is about coming into your power and really just like almost screaming it because it's it's this insane high note. Whereas I feel as though Kurt is always very much in control and his falsetto makes it, I, I just don't feel as much power behind it as Leah Michelle's performance, but that's also, it, it's just a timbre thing really. I I do agree with you there. I do think like I would never want to hear someone sing it the way Kurt's singing it if I was watching the full Wicked show. Like if I was watching Mm -hmm. the full show, I would want to hear someone do it the Rachel Berry way, the Idina Menzel way. My favorite is Donna Vivino. Look her up. She's amazing. But then like specifically in this arrangement, I think Kurt's high timber to his voice, Kurt's falsetto works better with this arrangement. Okay. Personally. We get to the part where like his quote unquote voice cracks, like it is bad and it's intentionally bad. Yeah. And it just kind of like cuts off there at the end of both of them singing. Yeah. Kurt is obviously like very saddened after his performance because he knows he uh, kind of fudged it up. However, uh, we cut away from that and we go to Quinn and Puck in the hallway and Puck pulls out a wad of cash to give her. And Quinn goes like, where the hell did you get this money? And we find out that Puck stole from the, the cupcake fund, the fund for Artie's uh, handicapped bus. Quinn's like, why would you do that? Absolutely, why would you do that? Like, we worked hard for that money. And he's like, I'm the one who baked the cupcakes, so I should be allowed to do whatever I want with the money. And it's like, no, that's not the same thing. It is kind of an interesting moment where Puck says something like, oh, I got this for our little guy or something. And Quinn tells him it's a girl. And that's obviously Puck's first time hearing mention of like, what is, what is his biological baby? Mm -hmm. Quinn has a line that says you're special and romantic. And to which I must say, no, he's not. You're in high school and you have no standards or point of comparison, which isn't your fault, but like. He's just hot. That's it. He's not even, I don't even he's think not. he's that hot. 
it is this kind of sweet moment where Puck says that like he he doesn't want to be a screw up. He doesn't want to be a total loser forever, um, which does sort of parallel the motivations that Finn has had as well. Except Quinn says again, like, I'm doing this on my own and I'm doing this with Finn. And I'm sorry for calling you a loser, but uh, like this is something I'm going to do. And Finn then comes up and tells her that he did get a job. And we get a little cutaway scene where we find out that Rachel marched into a, um, into a restaurant and demanded that they hire Finn and said that it would be ableist uh, to not hire him. Like, there's so much problems with this scene that it's like, where to even start? As said, it is, Finn is using, his, using the wheelchair as a costume in order to get a job. So now he's like, gotta be in the wheelchair at all times at his job because everyone at his job thinks that he's in a wheelchair yeah it's very much like it plays into the stereotype that people think of sometimes which is that people with disabilities or people from marginalized groups in general like wielding their marginalization to get special treatment which is not how the world works also we skipped over this um but in the this is actually i think in the baking scene with quinn and puck Puck says, like, uh, we should just tell Finn that, like, this is, you know, my baby. If he'd bake me a cake so he doesn't have to deal with this, he'd be pissed off for a while. But, like, it's kind of the right thing to do. Yeah, it is. And they should have told him, like, the minute it happened. Just like Terry should have told Will that she wasn't pregnant. But plot's got a plot. Finn has Quinn sit in his lap and, like, wheels her away. And we get this shot of Puck looking all brooding in the hall because he's upset that Quinn has chosen Finn yet again. And then we cut into the auditorium. Puck is handing over the $1,200 for the, um, for the handicapped bus. So Artie says, like, this is great and all, but there's still only one wheelchair accessible entrance in this entire school, uh, which I feel is not up to code at all. And he says, instead of using the money to get the handicapped bus, that they should use this $1,200 to get a wheelchair ramp for the auditorium since there is not one. We then cut to uh, Will in Figgins' office and we find out that Sue cut a check for three new wheelchair accessible ramps and for the school, which good. Thank you, Sue. Also highly suspicious. They're immediately like, what the hell? Like, why would Sue care about this at all? Mm-hmm. Then we get to Sue signing in to a nursing home and she's having a discussion, like, how is she? Uh, and the attendant there, the receptionist says, like, she asks about you. She watches you on TV every night. And Sue says, I got to get in here more often. And then that's when we meet Sue's older sister. Uh, I believe her name is Jean. Uh, and Jean also has Down syndrome. Also played by an actress with Down syndrome. It's a very beautiful scene. Very touching. Sue's sister, Jean, assumably lives in this assisted living facility. Um, because she can't take care of herself. I guess it's it's not mentioned this episode. At one point, it's mentioned that both of their parents are dead, but then Carol Burnett comes and guest stars a, as their mom. Um, essentially, for most of their life, uh, Sue and Jean have been on their own. And now that Sue has like a full-time job, she's not take, able to take care of her sister as much, but she still visits as often as she can. And Sue sits down and starts to read a storybook to her, and it is very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. And it is it gives us more backstory on Sue. It, it's revealed that she kind of has a soft spot for um, 
for her sister, obviously, who has Down syndrome. And that kind of relates back to like why she put Becky on the team, because she understands that kids with disabilities deserve just as many opportunities as everyone else. Yeah. And really, really, if anything, like I wish that was kind of the uh, moral of the episode. Like if that had been the the theme that carried us through, it would be like, great, that's a great lesson. And that's something that like people could have really heard in 2009 that like we should be treating people with disabilities like full people as open-mindedly as possible. But unfortunately, that is uh, not where this episode takes us. We end up cutting to Tina and Artie um, rolling through the school hallways after school, question mark. Like the, the hallways are dark. So I'm not sure why they've been allowed into the school. They're wheeling around, I guess, racing. And again, Artie relates being in a wheelchair to having a stutter. St- having a stutter. Um, and he says, yeah, it, it's the same. It's just like, you know, a really big hassle to have. Tina yeah. says, I want to get out of this chair so that I can do this. And we have our first, our Tina kiss. It's cute. It's cute. And it's worth mentioning that like disabled characters deserve their own plot lines. Disabled characters deserve their own romances and well-developed characterization. And so I'm happy that they gave Artie romantic relationships. This personally doesn't feel like there's a lot of chemistry there. Although Jenna Ushkowitz and Kevin McHale are close friends in real life, which is amazing. I will say, though, that like this is it it really does follow the same pattern as all of the Glee relationships uh, in that it's kind of based on lies. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's Sue and that anchorman guy or uh, Will and his wife. Finn and Quinn like it's all about somebody is hiding something and it's all going to come crashing down which immediately happens when Tina reveals that she doesn't actually have a stutter yeah she says she faked it in elementary school because she wanted to get out of doing a speech in front of the class and she's just been faking it ever since because that way she doesn't have to do any like public speaking, which I think it's worth analyzing Tina's anxiety, Tina's self-consciousness, but also, yeah, Tina, that's kind of like fucked up. <laughs> it's really not unlike that lady who pretended to be black. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not saying they're the same. <laughs> I will not make that glee mistake, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you you not having a disability or or something that people will discriminate against you for is upsetting and and she doesn't get she doesn't really get another plot line until her relationship with mike like i can't think about her without thinking about like oh she faked having a stutter for years for years it's also, she says that she wants to drop it now because she realizes what she's been missing. And Artie is super offended because of course he is. Because Artie has found someone that he relates to. We've already talked about how it's not really that relatable. You shouldn't really equate the two things. But at least to Artie, it feels um, equal to have a romantic interest in someone who also understands what it's like to be socially ostracized for something they can't control. And Tina's like, oh yeah, I just want to get rid of that now. Yeah, I just want to, like, stop doing it. And Artie's like, um, I can't stop being in a wheelchair. He says, I'm sorry you get to be normal, and I'm stuck in this chair for the rest of my life. 
Um, and he wheels away, kind of leaving Tina there as he should, as he should, because he has a right to be um, enraged by that, I think. It's one of these things that I don't really think that Glee needed to cover. Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't need to be a huge deal. Disabled people just exist. And, And the crazy thing is that this probably has happened in real life. Like, it's not that unreasonable that some high schooler would do something crazy and very insensitive because they don't understand the gravity of what they're doing. Putting it on national TV and not having adequate commentary around it makes it incredibly cringeworthy. Yeah. And I also think, like, just from my perspective of what I remember feeling back when I watched this, like... I was really young at this point and I did not understand how upset Artie felt. I'm old enough and mature enough to understand that feeling now. But even back when I had a stutter, I didn't understand like the gravity that Artie felt um, in this situation. And I, I think Glee didn't need to handle the subject at all, but they needed, if they were going to tackle it, they needed to handle it better. And that's the tagline of the whole TV show. Yeah. (laughs) Why did we need to do this at all? (laughs) They didn't need to participate, and yet they did. So we cut away from that, and we are back in Bert's tire shop, and Kurt tells his dad um, that uh, that he lost the competition on purpose, that he blew the note because he saw that his dad was getting confronted with homophobia for the first time, and that he didn't want his dad to to go through what he goes through. Kurt saying, you know, like, I've known who I am since I was five. I've been bullied for it. I adapted. And Bert says, I can handle myself. And Kurt comes back, not about this, which is heartbreaking, but fair. Because Kurt is the one with practical experience and years of practical experience with uh, experiencing homophobia. And Kurt has this line, and the line is, I love you more than I love being a star. We all just sighed collectively there because it's, it's as are most scenes with Kurt and his dad, it's very beautiful. It's very touching. It also is kind of what sets apart Kurt from Rachel. Because exactly. I don't think that she, she would step down. She like, I'm sure on some level, she knows that Kurt deserves to have a moment in the spotlight. And yet she's saying, my, my feelings on this are more important than than you having even a moment of people seeing you do well. I also think that like, I don't know, something that struck me really deeply about this scene is that um, the experience of growing up gay, much like many experiences of marginalized groups, oftentimes, although after a while you stop being affected by it, you can remember almost every time like someone has said something homophobic to you or almost every time someone said a slur to you almost every time someone's come to you with that amount of like hatred in their heart and furthermore you can remember every time like a parent or a person close to you has looked at you um with with some level of like disgust or hurt or even just disappointment. Yeah, disappointment um, on the subject, whether that's uh, through a coming out experience or whether it's um, just through talking about the subject. 
um, those things do stick with you. And um, ever since Kurt's coming out, although Bert does say like, oh, well, I've known you were gay since you were young. It wasn't until Bert got that phone call and Kurt sees his reaction in the, um, in the tire shop afterwards that Kurt really sees like that hurt and that disgust from his own dad. Mm-hmm. And that, and that sticks with you, even though that Kurt and Bert have a beautiful relationship and they grow a lot from these moments in season one, like those are moments that are, I think, incredibly relatable to many, many queer people. Yeah. He, Kurt does explicitly say he's not going back in the closet. He's going to continue to be who he is, but he's willing to have this one thing slide or I, I guess not let it slide, but like give this one thing up. And Bert doesn't really know how to respond to that. Um, and basically asks like, do you want to help me work on this car? Um, and Kurt kind of, you know, smiles, uh, father, son time. I guess this is a normal thing for him, which implies that Kurt just knows a lot about cars, which I feel never gets touched on again, but I feel like should, cause that's just like a, you know, people are like, Kurt Hummel is like a, a stereotype of a gay guy. Um, which is like, that's just how Chris Colfer is. He just Chris Colfer is a stereotype like of a gay guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he has spoken about that. He's spoken about being told that he's a stereotype. Um, and it's like, this is just how he is as a person. And that's fine. After the tire shop, we go to the last song of the episode, which is Proud Mary by Credence Clearwater Revival. Um, it's in the style of Tina Turner. It's very good musically. However, sonically, it is, it's fantastic. Is all done in wheelchairs. Um, and again, chair choreography, mwah, impeccable. Sure wish it was done by people in wheelchairs. I feel like it, if, if they wanted to do a wheelchair number, what they should have done is had Artie be the lead. And then like, maybe you can use roller skates or skateboards or something that is an illusion to the, the conversation about rolling and like letting him be in the spotlight while also being like, we're, we're also mimicking a little bit without co-opting a wheelchair. Yes. They, they do this song because the, the chorus goes rolling, rolling on a river and Mercedes has the solo or at least has most of the solos. She's very good. If I just heard this on the soundtrack for the first time, I would be like, oh, this song is amazing. However, it is impossible to separate how sonically good the song is because it is Artie solos, Mercedes solos. Tina has a solo thrown in there. Love that. Um, maybe not. This maybe wasn't the episode for it. It's also, they have kind of a cool set where they've got little slides and ramps. They're also all in matching yellow polos. It's a good ending to the episode. I wish there had maybe been one more scene where we had like well I wish a lot of things were different first of all first of all I wish this whole episode had been different but if let's assume everything about this episode was going to be the same I wish we got maybe one more scene of Artie explaining to everyone that like a disability is something that's like going to affect me for my entire life and it is not something to be like played around toyed with It's not something to be minimalized. And I appreciate you guys like wanting to understand, but also after today, please never pretend you know what it's like to be in a wheelchair. That's the end of our episode. Um, Favorite song, least favorite song. 
there haven't been that many songs this episode to be fair it was just defying gravity and proud mary and dancing with myself um i guess i would say proud mary yeah it's it's just a really nice arrangement of it i i agree that proud mary probably comes out comes out sonically as my as my top song and and i do think that the song that is most important to the episode is probably dancing with myself even though it is not even though it was sung well even though it was well arranged it's probably emotionally the least important song to me yeah what i do like about dancing with myself i think it's it's fun wheelchair choreography and i think what ha- what happens is in i believe it's season 3 when quinn gets into a car accident and ends up in a wheelchair for a little bit they do i'm still standing by Elton John, which is like an incredibly, um, it's supposed to be very like tongue in cheek and cute, but it comes off very um, tone deaf instead. And so what I think they were trying to do with standing uh, with I'm still standing is what they did with dancing with myself, where it's like, okay, it's, it's a little tongue in cheek because like he can't dance the way that an able bodied person would. So it's like kind of cute. He's like dancing by himself because like, it's hard to do a partner dance. He's dancing by himself because None of the other kids in the Glee Club understand what it's like to be disabled. And like, that's very appropriate. I think my favorite song in the episode, sonically is, I agree with John, sonically it's Proud Mary, but like as far as emotional weight in there, it's Dancing With Myself. That's funny then. We all agree that Defying Gravity is like kind of the song we don't care about so much. Not that it's bad, but. It just, it doesn't really like it could have potentially held weight if they had explored it a little bit. Like it is more the vehicle that is used. It doesn't really mean anything to Rachel. Like she really likes it, but it doesn't, it doesn't have, there's no stakes for her. She's just there. I also think like they just tried, as is the case with most Glee episodes, they tried to pack in like so much for this episode. Like they're tackling, they're tackling homophobia and teen pregnancy and being disabled. Yeah, just so many things. And it's just like, like maybe if they had slowed down a little bit, or maybe if they had split this up into two episodes, they could have, they could have handled one or both of them better, but they did not. And it's really like, it goes to show how I think TV shows nowadays, when they hire diversity consultants and people who are, who are not part of the production, who don't have a stake in the writer's room, as far as any one story coming through, I think that that really helps with the delivery because if they had had a diversity consultant they would have understood why this whole tina thing was very very cringy and could have could have handled it a little bit better um has will schuster done anything illegal this episode no but it should have been i feel like that's often the answer to this he he his club microdosed the entire school that's true <laughs> Oh, yeah. And we did establish that marijuana was illegal or it's still illegal in Ohio, but it was probably even more illegal back in 2009. And like these are students not knowing they are consuming illicit drugs that might end up on like drug tests or like we don't know who this screwed over. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this was all under Mr. Shoe's watch. There's also, um, there have been studies, uh, if you don't know that you are taking a drug, it can affect you much worse than if you do know. 
Uh, a very interesting right. case about this is uh, Operation Midnight Climax, and I only bring that up because I'm a huge history nerd. Night Climax <laughs> sounds like something else. It's very much like, why does the CIA exist? Um, <laughs> and that's what you missed on Glee. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at SingSationsPod. You can follow us on Twitter at SingSationsPod. And you can follow us, uh, follow us on Tumblr at SingSationsPod. That is S-I-N-G-S-A-T-I-O-N-P-O-D. I missed an S somewhere in there. It's the same name as our podcast. You can just look at your screen and see it. Uh, also follow John Osborne on Spotify and SoundCloud and do yourself a favor because he has the voice of an angel. <laughs> Stop.